0: Hi everyone, I am Dr. Sherry and welcome to Men Power Talks. Today we are wrapping up our series Justice The Awakening of the African American Male with a special guest, Dr. Corey Graves. Professor Graves is a tenured professor of computer engineering, an innovator, and a loving dad. So, welcome, Professor Graves.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I am so glad that you're here, and it is a great wrap-up to what's been a great series. Want to get your background, um, who you are, um, share with our audience? tell like uh, where you're from, that sort of thing?: um,
1: Okay, I'm um, from North Carolina. I've uh, been here most of my life, born in a small town called Roxboro, North Carolina, uh, which is about 20 miles north of Durham. Spent uh, most of my teenage years in Yanceville, North Carolina, where I grew up mostly, and spent a little time uh, in Danville for a couple of years. So I was born and raised in those three towns, uh, which are about 30 miles within 30 mile radius of one another. I had a mother who was a school teacher, and she retired from teaching elementary school. Father spent most of his career life as a, a data processor, actually, at a textile mill. Then um, spent some time along the way as a part-time deputy sheriff, eventually retired as a security guard at the local community college. I, myself, ended up graduating. I went did my last year or two at, in Roxborough in high school, graduated from there. Went on to attend North Carolina State uh, University in electrical engineering, got a bachelor's degree there. Uh, from there, I went to my mother's alma mater, uh, Auntie, of course, Patty e. Pride. Patty
0: e. Pride.
1: Uh, <laughs> so I uh, went there for the master's in electrical engineering. Uh, then went back to North Carolina State to get the PhD in computer engineering at the time. As far as uh, my career as a professor, I started it in Tennessee, or University of Tennessee at Martin, which is a smaller campus of the University of Tennessee. Stayed there for a couple of years, and then I uh, decided to come on back to North Carolina, um, and have been here for the past 18 years. Okay. Um, and along the way, I was married and divorced, and have a couple of uh, beautiful young daughters, ages 11 and 14.
0: Okay. Wow. I um, want to move right into our interview and get your sentiments on some of the injustices that are going on, things that are going on in this country right now. So want to get your sentiments of what started with um, George Floyd with the massive protests
1: well, I mean, you know, it's, um, I guess it's associated with him, but I'm sure, you know, if he had the choice, he he, he wouldn't be associated with it under the circumstance that he is. Yeah. Uh, but of course, uh, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement, I'm not sure exactly when it started, but several years now, mm-hmm. I think at least since the time of uh, the whole Trayvon Martin uh, and maybe Michael Brown incidences, and perhaps even before that. But you know, it's a result of you know just the whole reason we have to have a term like that or use a term like that. Black Lives Matter have just you know has just unfortunately come from or the thing that keeps getting reiterated time and time again that to a lot of uh, society um, institutions such as the police. It at least seems as if black lives don't matter mm-hmm. and sometimes that's the sentiment from the or has been in the past the sentiment of the mass news media um, and even uh, public culture in general mm-hmm. that, that somehow black lives don't matter so that that was a, a needed uh, thing that we that we had to have to embrace so hopefully one day we, we don't we won't need to, to say it but Uh, Right now, it's it's taking hold. Um, You know, it seems to be some changes, uh, you know, that coincide with the George Floyd incident. I'm sure some of it had to do with the incident, and I'm sure some of it, you know, is from pressures that just have been building up over the years because of all these other events. But it seems that the American power structure Mm -hmm. is now willing to, to at least give some semblance of some respect for, for Black people, and that a good thing that has come out of uh, these instances, um, you know, particularly abandoning or the dismantling of a lot of what it calls the uh, institutional racism and the symbols of it that have been persistent over the years. And, you know, at one point it was almost blasphemous to, to talk to anyone mm-hmm. in the South about taking down any of these civil war monuments It used to be a time where um you know the media you know definitely didn't support it um and you know even uh hinted at being against that type of thing so um so now they're you know they're showing some sympathy for why those monuments need to be taken down as well as the church uh the church institutions the uh even the uh, political institutions. So there's some change that has happened along the way somewhere, and um, I'm thankful to to uh, all the all the entities that have just applied the pressure mm-hmm. to uh, get these things to the front forefront. I mean, even images, Auntie Mama images, and uh, even heard recently that the Dixie Chicks have changed their name right. to just the Chicks, it's not the Dixie. So mm-hmm. there's obviously some, you know, something going on there.
0: Right. Um, so a lot of corporations, yeah, they're getting on board. It's, um, it's yeah, so popular that, that is, to get on board. Yeah, yeah so that, that is
1: encouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, if I can mention just real quick, you know, in terms of these types of protests starting with uh, civil rights, you know, we know it's civil rights at least the televised version of it back in the 60s. You know, we think of nonviolent protests. We've seen a lot of that lately with the the protests by kneeling or laying down. So we have some of that. Also, we see people, um, you know, uh, marching. So we see a lot of that. And and now we're seeing all types of ethnicities get together, getting together and doing it, Mm -hmm. using this blueprint that kind of has already been set up and mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, explored in the past. It's like things are kind of culminating mm-hmm. uh, right now at this moment. I mean, you have people, uh, you know, some people rioting and, you know, of course we're all against, you know, rioting but we have to admit also that that type of thing has, you know, had some effective results in terms of at least people being heard and maybe even changing some things in the past. We had Protesting in terms of you know even legislators protesting uh, or supporting Black Lives Matter in terms of you know donning of the African uh, kente cloth and right. in, in, in the uh, capital you know recently showing solidarity.
0: Yeah, know Nancy Pelosi. I remember seeing her uh, specifically with her kente. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so
1: all of these things you know kind of. You know, Malcolm X always said, by any means necessary. So this is kind of what I see is going on, is that we're, you know, exemplifying what what that really means. Uh, You know, and and he was, uh, you know, somebody that's not mentioned too much now in terms of his impact on the movement. But, you know, a lot of people associate him with violence. But really, what he meant is what he said was by any means necessary. So it could be by, you know, by peace. By violence, by negotiation, by you know self-respect, self-knowledge, any means necessary to get where we need to go to get out of where we were, and we have made progress. Uh, one of the things that he also was adamant about, up until the time of his death, and some might even say led to his death, was his insistence on the uh, expanding the cause of civil rights to the. Mm-hmm. to the level of uh, human rights and bringing it before the UN and uh, getting support from other nations. You know, during, during the end of his life, end of his life, he took pilgrimages and uh, visited foreign leaders uh, and was soliciting help with the problem at the level of the UN. And just so happens, you know, not long after he really began to push that agenda, he was dead.
0: Right. So, uh,
1: so I was very encouraged to see that, you know, George Floyd's, I think brother mm. actually went before the UN and and pleaded the case. And from what I understand, there was already a, a UN Council on a UN Human Rights Council that had been looking into uh, the U.S. some of the uh, poli- police brutality incidences in the U.S. Anyway, and it just so happened that our President decided to, for us not to be a part of that council for what they felt were, uh, unjust treatment of, I think, Israel. Um, so technically we're not a part of that council right now, but maybe that's a blessing because, uh, that caused them to maybe look more at, at what, you know, some of the problems that need to be fixed here, yeah. you know, as well as other places around the world regarding yeah. human rights. So... You know, it's been a long, a long journey, but I'm sure, you know, leaders like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Megar uh, Evers are looking down. Um, and,
0: and, now <laughs> yeah, and now John Lewis.
1: Yeah, now John Lewis. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's, it all comes full circle, yeah. you know. So, so we all just have to take time and just think about what, what people have sacrificed, and some of which are still around today, you know, and, how far we have come, even though we have a long way to go. Right. just think about John Lewis, who was, you know, badly beaten for it, mm-hmm. on the pettus Bridge for, um, you know, promoting voting rights for black people. And he was able to live long enough to to live and serve under um, a black president. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. it all, um, all part of the struggle and we've had some great warriors that have paid the ultimate price
0: right so we're going to move on um, to our next question um, and that's regarding police brutality which is what John Lewis he really um, knew about that on that bridge in Selma, Alabama and that's what so many African-American males have experienced, even um, some of the males who've been on this series, um, Justice the Awakening of the African-American Male, have spoke about um, the police brutality or just the injustice that they've experienced. Um, So can you talk a little bit um, about that and have you, um experience
1: any of that yourself oh like like I said my um my my father was a law enforcement officer uh part-time during the time I was growing up so I you know always had a healthy respect for for law enforcement Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that anyone else doesn't but I was you know, obviously super <laughs> conscious of it growing up because, you know, if you, if you ought to say I ever had any police brutality inflicted on me, maybe you can say it was from my father <laughs> and that's what kept me away mm-hmm. from them, you know, in, any other involvement with the police. But, um, but no, I haven't personally, um, experienced, uh, police brutality. Um, but you know, Realistically, I, yeah, I I know people mm-hmm. who have. I know it happens. I know it's a real thing. I mean, my father even talked about it, yeah. you know, uh, growing up, and that's one of the reasons for his passion for law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Learning more about it, he actually got a criminal justice degree, like I said, at a late age, and wanted to become an administrator uh, within the police department, but um, mm-hmm. because of the internal uh, internal uh racism within the particular department he was working for he 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 was denied that and he actually uh pursued a lawsuit and won you know but uh i guess the downside is that he he didn't you know he never got to pursue uh advanced law enforcement like he wanted to in administration um, but so you know the you know, the injustice from the police is not just an outward going thing, but it's an inward going thing as well, you know, in terms of uh, a network or institutionalized thing that affects the actual policeman. And, you know, you always hear that there, were, there are a lot more good policemen than bad policemen. And, that, and I think that's true with just about any profession. Mm -hmm. You know, but for some reason, it's just the typical bad actors that just make it bad for everyone. But my father was a a good actor. Oh, really? um, You know, I think it's just reflective of a bigger problem in society. You know, institutionalized racism. um, And we want to use a phrase that's been, you know, used lately to kind of define what's going on. We talk about white privilege. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so white privilege, which manifested itself, you know, in the George Floyd incident, we see as uh, the officer having, the white officer having almost 20 reprimands right. uh, before, you know, he even, this even happened and, you know, had never really... Uh, He's
0: been, he had never been really reprimanded himself.
1: Reprimanded yeah. or, you know, paid his dues, so to speak, or answered for those, you know, right. those infractions, right. the way he should have, or the way, presumably a, uh, a police of color would have had, had had to. So we see that in law enforcement. Uh, but if we're going to be honest, you know, that type of thing happens in just about in, any profession you can name. You, you may have seen it in your profession. I've seen it in my profession. Um, you know, I was listening to a, a video by uh, Roland Martin, very animate about the black cause, uh, but he was describing his uh, experience as a young reporter coming up, mm-hmm. uh, where he and one of his white male colleagues pretty much had the same job Position, but they were just assigned a different reporting on different things, but working for the same company, uh, about the same age, and um, he talked about how, you know, they both used the same type of tactics in interviewing, you know, but the white, the white male reporter was described as being, you know, assertive and and confident and a go getter, so on, but um, you know, Roland said that you know by him you know engaged in the same type of reporting he was uh described as by his this is by his superiors mm-hmm. as being um arrogant or you know uh aggressive uh wow. so on and so forth so um more of a negative tone mm-hmm. So, but you know he was very animate about his district description of it so i was which you know you know, I hope everybody will look it up. It's a long interview, but um, very insightful. But what I'm getting at is that it's basically a you know a double standard that exists that we you know we have to admit and deal with uh, empathetically because I know it's maybe not the easiest thing to hear, you know, that you have privilege in this way. But you know, hopefully this is the time for that conversation, that real conversation and for some real listening.
0: It's a a a good time. It's a good time, Professor Graves. Um, Yeah,
1: because I don't think the connection has been been seen in the past, mm -hmm. Uh, but that may be innocuous, somewhat innocuous environments like reporting, but when you have something critical like, you know, law enforcement, Mm -hmm. particularly um, with a police officer, whose uh, aggressive behavior has been excused and, and even sometimes incompetent behavior has been excused rather than corrected. Everybody should be equally correctable. Right. So we all, you know, nobody, nobody's perfect. We're all going to make mistakes in our lives, on our jobs, but, you know, no one group of people's mistakes should be looking looked over any more than other, any other group of people. Or no one group can be should be more harshly criticized than another group of people. So I think in a you know in a not so indirect way that is the type of dynamic that happens with these bad actors with policemen. They've been allowed to get away with so much that they um, it it ends up leading to something like this.
0: Right. Uh, so I, I don't
1: know. I'm kind of on a soapbox on that. Right. So
0: anyway, it. I mean, it, it is <laughs> it is something that happens, like you said, in so many different industries, and just bringing it to light, not just um, you know with police, but like Roland Martin, like you were saying, it was just as a, a, a journalism. Um, but um, in, in talking with you um, before, I, I know since in, in sports and. So many racial injustices. I'm gonna pause for just a second and talk about uh, Men Power Talks and bring you back on to give some final thoughts on uh, racial injustice. But just real quickly, uh, Men Power Talks podcast um, was derived to let men have a space where they can talk about things that are on their heart and, and to help other men. Um, in the areas of health relationships and finances. And so we're gonna be wrapping up this series um, and coming back to you with men talking about those particular topics. Um, Also, I am uh, Dr. Sherry and I am a a transformation coach for men. And so if you need one-on-one coaching, um, if you have some goals that you're working on and just need some help meeting those goals, Um, get in contact with me at www.menpowertalks.com and so Professor Corey getting back to you do you have any um, final thoughts around um, racial injustice that maybe you may have experienced
1: Um, you'd be hard pressed to find you know a black person you know over 10 years old that hadn't had some racial justice in their life, Uh, maybe even before, obviously before. But, uh, you know, obviously I grew up, like I said, in rural in the rural South. And, um, you know, going back to the whole issue of the Civil War and kind of idolizing uh, symbols of the Civil War, you know, I grew up where, you know, my social studies teachers spoke of the Civil War as an injustice that the North committed on the South, more or less, you know, uh, and always talked, you know, in grand terms about the South's part in this Civil War, and that the North was only able to beat the South because they had more money, and uh, but they didn't have as much spirit in about what they were doing, and they weren't as, you know, weren't, weren't as qualified, and things like that. So, you know, just growing up, just hearing that, and knowing, you know, where it came from, and knowing um, what their true feelings were—that, you know, that's an educational injustice, and it kind of led to. That's the type of thing that have led to the persistence of these monuments mm-hmm. that have, gone, you know, that have that are coming down now, thankfully. But, um, so, look at that as injustice, uh, as far as. You know, direct injustices. Uh, when I went to college, exposed head-on, I guess, with uh, being around, you know, majority—the majority of people, white people—on a regular basis. So that, in, in that, naturally, in a, a realm that they feel is theirs, that you're invading, you often hear candid comments about how they feel about. You know, affirmative action, and um, and at the end of the day, it always would come down to their belief in black inferiority and uh, things of that nature Did in that. so many words, um, and sometimes not in so many words, you know. So we participated in some small protests on campus and things of that nature. Um,
0: did you did you have any incidents happen to you specifically or?
1: Uh specifically, yes yeah, several, probably more than I choose to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part nothing major, but um you know, but the sub the subtle things and what they call microaggressions, mm-hmm. which it might even be called, you know, at that point weren't so micro and weren't so uh mm-hmm. concealed, I guess. So things, you know, if we talk about you know even from not just from fellow students but from professors who were just getting used to to black people being in that realm uh you know in such numbers so I recall uh being a part of a a design group, senior design, which all engineers have to do uh and most of my friends were black, so um that's just the way it was so we had a, a we formed a group of all black people and you know. Of course, when we looked for our advisors, we got actually it was a group of two, a team of two advisors, uh, senior design faculty advisors that that ended up choosing our group. And at that time, you couldn't you know look up people's profile, I guess, and tell what they were before you saw them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, they didn't. Long story short, they didn't know we were black until we actually met with them. Then, mm-hmm. uh, then I remember you know, the second meeting we had with them, they said, Oh, well, you know, we've determined that this project is, you know, is so advanced, you know, it's going to be tough and we're going to need two groups to, to work on this. So we, we, we found another group that's coming. today. <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns out that, uh, the group, the other group they got that came to the meeting was not all black, but mostly black. I think there was one white guy in the group. <laughs> And I remember it being so funny, one of the professors said at the time, he said, uh, you know, because that was his first time meeting them as well. So he said, Well, what's the chances of that happening? <laughs> and I look back and laugh at it now. You know, I probably laughed a little at it then to be honest. But, you know, the thing about it, you know, I was confident in my ability that I could do the pro- we could do the project as one group. And You know, and that was kind of, that was my senior year, so that was kind of the culmination of a lot of similar incidents that happened like that. So Mm -hmm. by the time I was ready, and um, well, I had already, I was ready for the other ones. But in any case, the, uh, I guess my best defense or protest against that was just to do well. Mm -hmm. to be impressive. Not necessarily to impress them or to prove them wrong or anything, but just because I had the ability to. And
0: so, in I all
1: their perspective yeah. along the way, then all the better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so those, those type of things. Uh,
0: so, could um, I ask a question about that? Yes. How How did that incident um, make you feel as a intellectual um, black male? You know.
1: I mean like I said at that point it's kind of like par for the course and a lot of people have been intelligent for a long time so black intelligence is nothing new and so by the time you get to that point you you see the reaction Mm -hmm. you kind of know the reaction of someone when they uh, recognize your intelligence and don't want to acknowledge it you know I've I have a lot of stories like that, even from elementary school. And I'm sure a lot of other people do mm-hmm. intelligence about, um, you know, the same type of thing happens in, in sports.
0: When you're good at something time. and you show the other side that you're good at something, it could be intimidating. You feel that. Right. In
1: too, yeah. right. And, um, but yeah, so I think, you know, the, the realm of um, the intellectual realm, if you will, is maybe one of the last frontiers of getting black respect. And I think um, we're getting there too, you know, even with the election of Barack Obama, you know, I always say I'm just so proud that my children uh, were exposed to him as their first black president or their first president that they knew. Now they can see the difference from an intellectual standpoint between, you know, what he was and what we have now. So, uh, you know, so that's a a great tangible Mm -hmm. thing that we can hold on to.
0: Is there any final thoughts that you wanna say as far as, um, do you see hope in the next generation for your daughters as far as, um, you know, Racial justice, you know, you know, you know, as a whole, white people getting it, uh, understanding the privilege, understanding ignorance that we, you know, um, all those kinds of things.
1: Oh yeah, like I said, I'm I'm very encouraged and always hopeful. Again, encouraged by the the fact that you can use terms now like Black Lives Matter and. Mm you know, white privilege and you raise your black fist or raise your any fist or whatever in protest Mm -hmm. and not be demonized by the media or anybody else at this point. Mm At least not to the degree as as it was in the past. Hopefully that's something that will survive Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. this moment that we're going through now. Hopefully it will be persistent Mm -hmm. and hopefully it will uh, be something that the the next president picks up on, mm-hmm. the next new president, knock on wood, right. Picks right. Up on and carries the torch on and uh, makes more of a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, again, I'm very happy that children are growing up uh, during this time where there seems to be some serious credibility given to black respect and, you know, the demanding. Insistence upon black respect.
0: We, we, we continue to be hopeful.
1: But I, I will say that, I, you know, at, at the same time being hopeful and grateful, we still need to be aware of what has happened in the past. So we need to make our children aware of the, you know, just the brutal truth of what has happened that have happened that are worse than what has happened to, I mean, nobody deserves to die, but, um, you know, people have died under you know circumstances of lynching and burning and castration you know and all types of things um, mm-hmm. so they need to know that truth everybody needs to know that truth so that we don't relive that past mm-hmm. so that was my i guess final thoughts is stay mm-hmm. hopeful stay stay grateful and but stay stay woke, <laughs> stay
0: woke. <laughs> all right i like that stay woke so thank you so much for concluding um this series, um, it's been it's been wonderful, and I really think you were perfect for closing it out. Um, so, Professor uh, Graves, um, you know, we continue to stay woke. Uh, we'll continue to be hopeful um, that the next generation um, will have a better better world where they don't have to deal with such racial injustice. So just want fairness, you know, for all people. So again, thank you so much for coming on.
1: And thank you day. for having me. Right. you.